Good afternoon, brothers and sisters of the podcast world. This is the Reverend Jed Webb coming to you from Divining Minds Podcast. Today's episode is being black in the USA. We all know what is going on in this country at this time. The riots, the protests due to the premature death of Mr. George Floyd of Minnesota by the hands of a white cop. Now, before I go any further into this episode, I want to thank all of those cops in this nation, black, white, others, that are doing an honorable job, that are trustworthy, and are doing what is necessary as good cops to provide a service for this country. Thank you. But we are not here today because of those cops. We are here today because of those cops that are not doing an honorable job. When has been black in America led to being a death sentence walking. Being black in America is like being in a movie, The Green Mile, being on death road at any time your life can be taken away from you just because of how you look. Not anything that you have done, not that you are a killer, not that you are an armed robber, but just because you look a certain way, your life can be taking at any moment. It leads to anger. It leads to frustration. It leads to sadness. It leads to fear. And this is how many of us in the black community feels. But we cannot allow for people to bait us into doing something dishonorable when we are standing up for honorable cause. We cannot allow people to distract us from what is truly going on. Being black in America being black in this country, the country that we have built. We should not be afraid to ride in our cars and not worry about getting stopped and shot because someone feels that we have a weapon in our car. We shouldn't be afraid to to, to, to run in neighborhoods and not get killed by vigilante justice being accused of a crime that we didn't commit, Mr. Ahmad Aubrey. We shouldn't have to walk, be afraid for our children to walk through neighborhoods just leaving the store and being shot by someone who wants to be a cop. Mr. Terrence Trayvon Martin, 
excuse me, Trayvon Martin. But this is our everyday life. Because of our skin color, it brings fear, it brings anger and disgust to some people. And I'm not talking about all Caucasian Americans or white Americans. Not all of them have this thought pattern, but it's enough of them in this country that we have the fear of our lives every day. But I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, of the African-American community that we are not fighting a race of people. I say that again. We are not fighting a race of people. We are fighting an opinion, an ideology, and you might even say a theology because to some people this is a religious belief of how they think about black people. Not every white man and woman in this country thinks like that. So we cannot approach this situation that way. And I would say this, no matter how well we speak, how educated we are, how well we dress, the businesses we own, we are still going to be looked at this way through the eyes of those individuals who have racial intentions racial thoughts when it comes to black Americans now I would say not too long ago my wife and her friend experienced something that they never experienced in their life. And they are in my wife is in her 30s and her friend's friend is in her 50s. My wife was leaving her friend's home and her friend was out there making sure my wife got in the car safely and she walked my wife to the car. And someone drove by in the pickup truck and yelled out the window the n-word of course this upset them and not only that they they struck fear in them why not with all this craziness that's going on in this world my wife called me on the phone and she told me what happened and she was driving home is only five minutes away from our house to her friend's home and I talked to my wife said do you need me to meet you is anybody following behind you my wife was like no and my wife got home and when she got home she told me she said I never been called that word before and it struck me because in my lifetime my 42 years of living I've heard that word towards me or towards somebody in my family and it was 
shocking to me because I didn't know that and this is the ignorance but it's sad that that this is my ignorance that I didn't know that there were black people of her age that have never heard that word towards them but it's sad that in this country that I would think this is normal and so as we begin to talk and I say you never heard that word towards you from a person of the Caucasian race and my wife was like no and her friend of 50 who's 50 in her early 50s said the same thing no I never heard that and then let me understand the sickness that this country has that I would think that it's normal by the time you got our age for someone to have said that to you not that it should be a normal behavior thing, but the fact that it was not my first time that where it been said to someone in my family or been said towards me, but it's sick that I would think that every black person around the south, southern part of the United States would have heard that word at least once in their life. There's a sickness, my brothers and sisters. There's a sickness podcast, people. When we have a thought pattern, the way that I thought that every black person at least 30 years old in the southern part of this country have heard that word before being said to them, either on a job, either somebody driving by in the car, to think this way, let us know that something has to be done. Something has to be fixed. A little history on life experiences that I've experienced when it comes to racism and the n-word the first time i ever heard that word being said to me i was eight years old in hinesville georgia playing soccer i was the only black male only black on african-american on the team black i mean uh male or female and we was having a conversation and i scored most of the goals for our team and one young lady as we was talking said Jared you get all the goals and you the fastest on the team because you the only in on the team she said it as if it was normal conversation for her being if you don't know anything about my parents Greg Webb and Jackie McNair Webb at that time you know that I was taught what this word meant at a young age and that I was taught to never allow anyone to say or call you that word. 
So I proceeded, being eight years old, to do what I thought was necessary. And I slapped the young lady in her face. She took off running to go tell her father. I went and told my father. They met face to face. And the guy said to my father, your son slapped my daughter. And my father said to her, loud enough for everybody to hear, your daughter called my son in and I wonder where she heard that from. And this guy face turned as red as a stoplight. And he grabbed his daughter and he went the other way. And right then and there, that was my first experience of hearing that word. And also not only that, but also being reprimanded by my coaches because I put my hands on a young lady. That also gave me my first experience of the injustice that we deal with as black people in this country. Another experience I had with the N-word, it wasn't me who was called that word, it was my brother. Still in Hinesville, Georgia, because my mother was in the army at that time and we was she was stationed at Fort Stewart. My brother was called the N-word by a Caucasian male. And not only that, the guy spit in my brother's face. So doing what we was taught to do to defend ourselves because my brother didn't know what was coming next. Somebody calls you the N-word, they spit on you. What's next? He gonna kick you, punch you, stab you? He didn't know. He protected himself and he knocked the young man out. Needs to say they brung up charges on my brother where he had to go to teen court where they was looking at giving him actually he went to court before he went to teen court and they was trying to give him assault and battery charge they was trying to give him a racket at 13 years old but he had to go to teen court he was embarrassed he was humiliated because of what happened and he received all the punishment as the young man received nothing that was my second time in my life seeing the unjust way society look at black males and treat black males. And being from Durham, North Carolina, everyone remembered the incident, Jamal Elliott. Me and Jamal went to elementary together and we he stayed in a neighborhood not too far from where we stayed. And we didn't go to the same middle school, but we ended up going to the same high school for a little while. And my Jamal, even though we didn't go to the same middle school, but going to the same high school, um, we, we kept in touch throughout the years. I would walk over there, those of us from Ritter Heights would walk over there to his neighborhood and over there to Fisher Heights and we would go over there and play basketball and football against them, that his life was taken from him. 
he was basically in my eyes as I look back over things he was basically murdered running away from a home shot in the back he wasn't a threat didn't have a weapon but was shot he never had an opportunity to go to junior prom with us he never had an opportunity to go to senior prom with us he never had an opportunity to hang out at McDonald's after football games on Friday night after we got finished playing he never had those opportunities his family never got the opportunities to see their son their brother walk across the stage and receive his high school diploma and the man that did this walks away with nothing there was another time that I experienced the unjust way that we are treated in this country we are treated unjustly and we are angry and upset and we must fight the right way. And the way that we must fight, brothers and sisters, we fight by changing, make sure laws, make sure policies and procedures are changed of how they deal with African-Americans when we are in the custody of the police, when we are in the jails, being held, we change policies and procedures in schools. And by doing that, we have to make sure that we attend school board meetings when they are open for the public. We go to parents and parents teacher conferences. We go to PTA meetings. We make sure that they are putting regulations and policies in place that's going to benefit our community, our children. Working in school systems, why is it that 80% of AIG classes and programs are either filled with Caucasian Americans or and Asian Americans? And Caucasian Americans probably making up 65% of that. Why is it that way? Is it that uh, African-American students are not just as smart? No, we are just as smart. Some are even smarter. But the way that they set things up are keeping our kids out of these programs because there are not enough African-American teachers in school systems, especially here in Alamance County. When you have five kindergarten teachers and none of them are black in some situations, four third grade teachers and none of them black, maybe one. And talking about black males, they non-existent in, in the school systems, especially around here. So we have to make sure that we are giving the same opportunities by making sure we start at the lowest of the lowest level 
from preschool on up in schools and then we got to make sure that we have african-american teachers in classrooms african-american teachers and in leadership positions as administrators i'm gonna use my wife for example who has a has a has a doctrines in in education but cannot get a position as a principal in this county after she worked as a system principal for four years in the county where we lived at but had to go to a charter school to get a position and those there are people being hired that have less credentials experience than she does every day in ministry I mean excuse me in administration positions in the school system we have to make sure that we are enforcing policies and procedures that's going to benefit us so we won't have any more premature deaths of African American males and females in this country I know I ran ramble on a little bit but it is so much that's going on and there's so many different areas that we must change as a people in this country so we can it would benefit us and all not just the law enforcement but also the school system and the government. We have to fight using our heads and our hearts and not our fists. This is a little spill on what's in my heart and my mind. Thank you for listening.